0: This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.
1: Hi everyone, Devorah Esther here, and thanks for joining us for another edition of Talking Torah with Devorah. And speaking of joining, do join in the Mitzvah of Sharing Torah and share this podcast episode on your social media. You never know who can benefit from the content of today's podcast. And many of you may recognize today's guest who is returning for a second time on this channel. On his first visit, we spoke about the Abarbanel and the prophecy of redemption. And as of this recording, that podcast episode had the highest viewer count with over 7,000 views. Talking about this one here. And I will link it down below so that you can see what we're talking about. He was featured in my book and in my docu-series, The Last Anusa, and he is an American Orthodox rub, public speaker, author, prolific researcher, pulpit rabbi, and has a global fi- following. And he is one of the most popular English-speaking Torah teachers in contemporary Jewish landscape. And his shiram can found, be found on Torah anytime, the OU website, Shas Illuminated, Hazak, and YouTube, just to name a few. I want to welcome back to my channel, Rabbi Daniel Gladstein. Thank you so much for coming back.
0: Thank you. It's an honor is mine. Thank you for the opportunity.
1: I'm so happy that you're back. I just want to thank you publicly because, you know, you really have spoken so much. You've done a lot of research in this area. It's the reason why we kind of, you know, Shem put us together. I hope, you know, for all the research that you've done with all of the, you know, Spain had a lot of great, you know, sages, there was a lot of great rabbis that came from there. And certainly you have studied their works. They have been your rav, you can mm-hmm. say, and, t- and taught you over the years. And I pray that Bezrat Hashem, that you will now be the rav to their descendants when the Anusim return. I pray mm-hmm. that we will see this with our own eyes. Thank you for coming back on.
0: Bezrat Hashem. Thank you very much. Actually, I look forward this summer, we're planning a trip to Spain to visit some of the cities where the great Spanish leaders lived. We're going to visit Cordova and Seville and many of the cities where um, the Rishonim lived. And then from there, we're going to travel to Amsterdam and then to Portugal. So we're continuing to research and to study the works of these sages and to learn from their history and to learn from their lives. And uh, the more we study their lives, the more we uncover So it's an amazing adventure.
1: Yeah. And I want to say, you know, the synagogue that stands in Toledo was built by one of my ancestral grandfathers. And so I'm very excited about that. Yeah. Uh, We're going
0: to be in Toledo, perhaps Barcelona. Yes, And of course, Toledo, you know, we call it Holy Toledo, right? (laughs) And actually, there's a lot of uh, discussion. Why why is it called Holy Toledo? It's actually referring to Toledo, uh, Ohio. (laughs) <laughs> that's why it's Holy Toledo and there's a big machloikas there's a big dispute why it's called Holy Toledo either because it has the most churches in the country or because it has the most bars in the country and it's like a euphemism, Holy Toledo meaning in other words it's not really that holy but I I always like to say that there's a real mystical reason why it's called Holy Toledo because in Toledo Spain lived the Rush and of all the Rishonim the rush was called Asher Kadishi, Asher the Holy One. So we call it Holy Toledo because of the great rabbis <laughs> that lived there. Yeah.
1: So, I mean, also, too, when you go to Sevilla, as you know, the Jewish quarter has all been but annihilated. There's only literally the framework of the apartments. And an old church was, was the first synagogue. And mm-hmm. if you recall, my seventh great-grandfather in Puerto Rico, replicated that synagogue almost to a T in Puerto really? Rico. The, Port- yes. the synagogue of Seville? The one in Seville. It was the, the biggest synagogue in the Jewish quarter. There's two of them. There's a smaller one, and then there's the main one. It's now a, it's now a church. It's
0: Unbelievable. Yellow, it's
1: yellow and white. He, he literally replicated the fountain, the courtyard, and the church all in one. And if you look at the back of that, it looks like the Beit Dash. And I actually, one rabbi was looking at the pictures and he noticed something I didn't even notice. And he said, Deborah Esther, if you look to the left of the picture in the back, it almost looks like a setup for a sukkah. So very wow. interesting. It, it's very interesting. Um, you know, in Cordoba, if you look at some of the pathways in the Jewish quarter, they are a replica of old San Juan, almost to a T. So one has to ask, you know, I remember for myself, When I was first coming back, you know, uh, and, and hearing when I was first having my epiphany and journey back, I didn't really know much about the Inquisition. Ironic that now, you know, this is where I find myself, but I didn't know anything about the Inquisition. But when I was learning, I think one of the first things that I came out with was this almost like I was disappointed in my ancestors for not having gone to the fire right? Yeah. And I was very harsh with them for a long time. And a few people, a few very firm people were saying, you, you're looking at this all wrong. And it wasn't until Hashem brought me on the journey and I saw how much that they were still holding on to Hashem that I realized there's a bigger story here that has to be uncovered. I think we've just never looked for it. So mm-hmm. I think that that's what's happening now that we are all, including the descendants, starting to look for it. And mm-hmm. one of the things that we that we really have connected to is the story of Purim. As we know, Esther Hamalka is the first Anusa, right? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Very interesting.
0: Yeah, and the Gemara even uses that language in terms of describing when Ahasuerus violated her, that she was baones, she was coerced. So this is a halachic terminology that is applied to Esther. And you think about the lifetime of Esther. She lived one of the most lonely lives in the history of the world.
1: Which I think a lot of people don't know that. And I think even, you know, just to speak about some of the propaganda, and, and, you know, Hollywood likes to romanticize. And years ago, they came up with a very romantic version of Esther, which is totally false. In other words, she fell in love with the king, and it was this great love story. It was far from that. She did not have this great life. And for many people, no. she cried out to Hashem, and it almost seemed it almost seemed for a while as if she was not being answered.
0: The midrash says, and the Gemara tells us that she was so upset and so aggravated that she was taken to the king's palace. That she turned green, her complexion wow. completely wow, sallowed wow, 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 wow. and and uh, it's miraculous that Achashverosh even went for her because of her. Uh, she didn't eat, she didn't drink, but. You know, the Gemara tells us a few factoids about Esther, and you, you realize what a lonely life she lived. First of all, when she was conceived, her father died. When she was born, her mother died. So she never saw her parents. Then she marries Mordechai. So at least she has a tzaddik of a husband. But as soon as she goes to, to Achashverosh, and she does so willingly, she became prohibited to, to go back to Mordechai. So she has no father. She has no mother. She has no Jewish husband. Certainly, she had no satisfaction from her life with Achashveirosh, who was a rasha, and he was a fool, and he was a Gentile, and she didn't want that for herself. And then she, her son Darius, was technically Jewish, but I don't think uh, she, he didn't, he didn't conduct himself like an observant Jew. So she basically has no parents, no husband, and no children, and she's all alone in life. So you bring up the Anusim. Uh, I always think of a story that's brought in a sefer, it's called Toldot Adam. It's about the brother of Reb Chaim who, one of the primary disciples of the Vilna Gaon, he writes that in 1492, there was a mother who, her children were being uh, taken away from her to be Burnt at the stake, and she, when her children were murdered in front of her eyes, she rings with her hands heavenward. She says, "God Almighty, whatever love I had in my heart was it used to be between you and my children, but now that my children are taken away from you, from me, now I give my entire heart to you." This is a very
1: that's such a high level
0: that, and that that's a story from one of the holy women of the Inquisition. And the Chafetz Chaim, when his son passed away, he said over this story of this saintly woman in Spain at the funeral, and he said, God, until now my love for you was divided, but now I give whatever love I had for my son, I give to you. And I think in the same uh, way, we have to understand the life of Esther. The Talmud teaches us, that until Purim, we never really accepted the full Torah willingly. That only in the times of Purim, we accepted the oral law willingly. Now, one thing we know about the oral law, the Midrash tells us, that in order to to learn Torah Shaba'al Gemara, Mishnah, one has to love God with all your heart and with all your soul. So who was the catalyst to bring the Jewish people to this level, to to receive the oral law with love? Esther. Why Esther? Because only a woman who has no father and no mother and no husband and no children. So her heart was totally devoted and dedicated for her love for God. So she was capable of loving God with all her heart and all her soul and all her life. So she had such overflowing ahavat Hashem, such overflowing love for God, that 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 spilled over to the whole Jewish people. And she was the catalyst for Kabbalah Tatarah for uh, for the acceptance of the oral law be Ahava. So on the one hand Esther, as you mentioned, was the first Anusa and she lived a life in hiding but there's no question that Hashem orchestrated and prepared her in order for a very great task and that was to be the catalyst to accept the Torah. And likewise, we don't understand why that period in our history happened and what the calculation of the Almighty was, but certainly all of those sadikim and Sidkaniyot, all those righteous people, their misirat nefesh and their sacrifice, whether they were burnt at the stake or whether they continued to observe privately, they were following in the tradition of the Esther, as you said, the first Anusa.
1: It's very interesting and you know there's so many lessons I think you know, the more I, un- I the more I study it myself, the more I unpack. There's all of these lessons to learn. Some of them I feel like, you know, ha- I always ask myself, have we learned anything from that time? I think mainly what has God, you know, when we talk about the story of Purim, you know, Purim is not going to be canceled when the Mashiach comes. It's the only Hag that will not be canceled. Right. And I think that the great takeaway, and I've said it before on this channel, is that we really learned something from Purim, And that was that the Goyim don't have it, right? Like we're looking to the Goyim for all of this inspiration and how to live life. And and the truth was what we learned out of that is that we had it all along. And I feel like this is something that, that really, if you look at it, when we're talking about the opening scene, you're talking about a lot of Yidden who are saying, you know, you know, we get this. I get this a lot in work. It's almost like, all of you didn't look at me like, you know, you're making us look bad. <laughs> Why do you have to be so frowned, right? Why do you have right. to be so frowned? Why do you have to look so observant, you know? Why do you have to take Shabbos and, and you know, leave early for Shabbos? And I feel like sometimes that this is a, a mindset that really has decayed um, for some people. And this is a story that we really learn, But we seem to find ourselves going over this over and over again throughout history and we find that in the Spanish Inquisition, that you did, you had this where there was some, you know, we talk about the the, uh, and again, and I don't want to keep hammering the 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 resha'im of the of the Inquisition, but we have a lot of people who did not. I mean, they really they betrayed their people. I think for me, what the biggest takeaway was is not to focus on the resha'im, but all those who came after, who were born into a situation who fought to get out. Some of them made it, some of them did not. And so I think that's really where Hashem started to say, listen, stop focusing on this. There are people out there. And I don't, you know, and it's funny, I don't know the individual story of each and every one of them. All I know is that I keep coming across people who were really fighting hard, who found Mm -hmm. themselves born into this situation, born, you know, 1,500, 1,600, 1,700, realizing who they are and we're fighting. And I think that, you know, as someone who comes from this ancestry, I think I owe it to them as well to, to get this baton and pass it on and say, hey, like you said, love Hashem with all your heart, come back, but come back the right way.
0: Yeah. You know, what? one, as you mentioned, a very important lesson of the story of Purim is that sometimes, unfortunately, many Jews think in the back of their mind, that, okay, God told us to observe the law and I'm going to do it, but it's not necessarily good for me. It's going to set me back. It's not going to be good for my job. Right? I mean, yeah, I'm going to keep Shabbat, but it's not going to be good for my work. So I'll leave last second. Yeah, I'll pray, but it's I'm, I'm going to lose out um, from my uh, career if I pray three times a day or if I learn Torah every day. We have in the back of our mind that by observing the law, we'll do it, but it's not good for us. And in the times of Mordechai, Mordechai would not bow down to Haman because he made himself an idol. And the Jews had a problem with Mordechai. They're like, Rabbi, come on! I'm sure you could find the leniency to bow down to him. Otherwise, you're, you're endangering our lives. And Mordechai said, I can't do it. Can't bow down to him. And the Jews were like, I'm sure you could come up with some heter, some leniency. And Mordechai wouldn't budge. And then sure enough, Haman makes it the not at the Jews. What do you think the Jews told Mordechai? Yeah, told you so, told you so, told you should have bowed down. But then look how things turned. Because Mordechai enraged Haman and Haman made the gallows, ultimately Haman was hanging on those gallows and the Jews turned around and killed their enemy and then Esther ended up marrying Ahasuerus and their kid is Darius and he builds the second temple. And then Mordechai tells the Jews, told you so, You think I was setting you back? If I wouldn't have angered Haman, we would have 75,000 more Amalekim to deal with. We never would have built the temple. So you're right. At first glance, it looks like I set you back. But look how observing the law advances the Jewish cause. You might not see it on day one, but in the long run, you see it. And the Jewish people say, you know, we made a big mistake. We thought the Torah is good for God, but it's a setback for us. They finally realized the Torah... It's not about God. It's about us. It's about making our lives better. It's about improve, advancing ourselves. When we're careful in the halakha in Shabbat, then we make more money during the week. When we're careful about prayer, we have more peace of mind. We have more confidence. Then we make a better living. The Torah and the mitzvot are good for us in this world. Of course it's good for us in the world to come. That's without question. The chidush, the novelty of Purim, was that as good for us in this world. And then the Jews said, you know what? We never wanted to accept the Torah willingly because we never realized that it's good for us. But we see from Mordechai who didn't budge that, you know what? It's not a setback. It may look like it at first glance, but ultimately it, uh, it advances our cause. So this is a very important. And then the Jews saw how all the plans of Haman really just backfired in his face. And that's another idea we see how throughout history, God, you know, we talk about um, the Inquisition, but as part of the Inquisition, they financed the discovery of America, which was the greatest haven for Judaism and Jewish causes in the history of the world. So on the one hand, Ferdinand and Isabella expelled 300,000 Jews. And on the other hand, they discovered the Lakewood Yeshiva in New Jersey and Yeshiva Chafetz <laughs> Chaim in Chaim Berlin and Taravadas and the Telz Yeshiva and Ari Yisrael, thanks to... Ferdinand and Isabella they paid to find these yeshivot that right. didn't happen they were the ones who commissioned Christopher Columbus to find these uh this Makom Torah right. so God says I'm not going to have Sadiqim find America the Rishaim who want to
1: destroy the Torah let them pay for it right and you know it's so funny because we talk about you know sticking to the emet right and I remember yeah. when I I used to have a little bit more time on my hand and I used to be a Havruta. And yeah. I was I think I was linked up with like Torah partners or something like that. And there was a woman who, she started out, she said that she she was Jewish, she was reformed. She started reform. So then she said she started to elevate and then she wanted to be conservative. Now she's at the point where she wants to elevate again. So she's looking to be Orthodox.
0: Wow. She,
1: so when I started with her, she says, you know, I'm very afraid. Here's all these rules, all mm-hmm. these, you know, barriers. I want to say like by six months in, she said to me, you know, Devorah Esther, when mm-hmm. I started, I could only see all the restrictions. Mm-hmm. She said, Now I can only see all the freedom.
0: Amazing. Amazing. So, I mean,
1: I think sometimes it is, you know, I think I always have a saying that people don't have to believe what you believe. But if they believe that you believe what you believe, they will respect you and they will give you the passage to do what you believe. Yeah,
0: absolutely.
1: And I think that in this day and age, there are people that not just and I think Goyim too, are looking for people who will be their authentic self. Because people are looking to emulate that, but there's no one doing that. There's no one who is, well, I don't want to say no one. There's no one, like, we don't see anybody, you know, you don't see these sports people and they have all these troubles there's a huge rate of depression and mm-hmm. one's got to wonder you know when you're not being your true self this will cause a lot of damage
0: yeah look you're right you see all these uh, great athletes and it looks like they have everything but at the end of the day their whole life uh they see their 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 family life is not as uh <laughs> not existent is not comparable to uh the rich life that a Jew lives, and, um, you know, that's part of the joy of Purim, that that uh, God is always with us, and because we're his beloved children, and even in the times of Purim where we sinned, Hashem still bailed us out. And the last uh, time we had the opportunity to meet, you uh, kindly uh, gave me the chance to uh Showcase the Sefer on the three weeks that we had a very important chapter on the Spanish Inquisition and Tisha yes. B'Av. In uh, this book on Purim, it's called The Concealed and the Revealed. Uh, we have uh, many chapters, but uh, in terms of what we spoke about today, we have a chapter on Esther, the loneliest woman who ever lived, and the story, the saga of the woman in the Spanish Inquisition, and how she gave over Tashem her whole heart when she lost her children if anybody's interested in this book you could get it at artscroll.com you put in the promo code REVEALD, capital revealed capital r e v e a l e d it's available with uh 15% off and it will match uh, the other book that you have <laughs> uh which um the darkness and the dawn so so um, I really, i'm very i'm very really much looking forward in, to in, Purim.
1: yes i want and i want to encourage everyone these let me tell you The Rav has such nuggets of gold, like you've never heard before. I mean, it really shows all the work that you've done over the years, the researching, which is why I really, and I think I said this in my acknowledgement in my book, that I really hope that Hashem sends a lot of these Jews over to you to learn. Thank you. Because it's really, it's amazing all the hard work and effort, and Hashem has really helped you. I really believe, uh, that the sages come to teach you personally. <laughs> That's what I Thank think. Thank you. Thank um, you. And I really, I'm so grateful that you came on. We're just doing a little short snippet today, but we're going to have you back on. Um, yeah.
0: God um, willing. I hope before Pesach to, um, to come back to speak more at length.
1: Yeah. Be- Bezrat Hashem. And I want to wish everyone, you know, a wonderful hug, hug Sameach to everyone. And again, the Rav's book can be found on artscroll.com. He gave you the promo code. Again, you know, the video that we had last time was a huge success in Bezrat Hashem. You know, this one will be too. You know, check it out. See what we're talking about. And I pray that Bezrat Hashem you'll come back on when when the rub comes back on again. But that's it for today. And I hope we'll all be together again soon. Bezrat Hashem.
0: Amen. Amen. Thank you very much. I, I second that. Wishing all your viewers a happy Purim. And look forward to seeing everybody before uh, Pesach.
1: If you enjoyed this video or know someone who would, please share it. It's Itzvog.
0: You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.